produced by young people for young people about the world of sustainability. We talk with leading professionals and change makers about what it takes to build a more sustainable present and future, start, starting with the stories, tips, and insights for you to take action. Today we'll be talking about mental health during the climate crisis, what are its challenges, and what we can do about it. You'll hear from Dr. Anz Verkeman, a leading academic from Imperial College London on human psychology in relation to environmental change, as well as Ethan Yun and Justin Chan, two Year 12 students from Hong Kong. Ethan and Justin are representing the youth organization EcoSol, an environmental advocacy group that strives on creating sustainable change in Hong Kong. Now, I have to say the headlines in the past month have been truly terrifying. July is set to be the hottest month on record and possibly the warmest in 120,000 years. We've had a series of extreme weather events from wildfires, flooding, and heat waves right around the world. And so I just wanted to start by asking, how have you two felt about hearing all this news? Ethan, how are you feeling? Well, for me, I feel like I start feeling well, slightly, just a slightly bit hopeless about I guess the future, uh, since it's like, I feel like personally there's not much that one person can do to really help. It's all about banding together and creating a more sustainable change within a large community. Um, well, for me, it's definitely taken a toll on my mental health. And since we're the next generation that has to suffer through, I'd say, the repercussions of the environmental dangers of uh, modern society, I feel like if society doesn't band together and tackle this problem directly, well, uh, it's going to take a turn for the worst, I'd say. So it's important that we act now and do something. Yeah, I mean, what you're <coughs> talking about seems to really line up with what I've been reading recently about a term called eco-anxiety. Uh, I've been hearing a lot about it in the news and stuff like that. Yeah, but what exactly is eco-anxiety? So from what I've read, it's a state of anxiety and worry related specifically to environmental harm and, uh, and human activity and climate change. And since we're the generation that has to live through this, as climate change continues to worsen, more and more people are reportedly experiencing anxious or depressive thoughts uh, associated with this. And a recent international survey of climate anxiety in young people aged uh, 16 to 25 showed that the psychological burdens of climate crisis were, quote, profoundly, profoundly affecting huge numbers of these young, young people, so us, around the world about the future of our planet. Yeah, I definitely feel like that's something that I've been experiencing, especially as a young professional working as a sustainability consultant. So I'd really love to bring in Dr. Berkman Anz uh, to share more about your experience studying like how young people are feeling. And welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. I'd love to start by asking you more about your background and what prompted your interest in studying the relationship between human psychology and environmental change as you initially started off more in the human psych psychology field. Yeah, it's all a bit serendipitous really. I'm a neuropsychologist by training originally, and I did my PhD in neuroscience, uh, which is very different from any, it had nothing to do with the environment at all. 
Um, but it was always a personal interest of mine. Like I, I'm someone who really enjoys the outdoors. I was a scuba diver for a really long time since I was a kid, really. Um, and so I think the environment for me, like the enjoyment I got out of it was always just a really important part of who I was, like outside of my professional life. Um, and I think, you know, probably 10 years into my professional career as a psychologist, I'd done research, I'd done teaching. I wasn't really that happy with where that was going and I, I just wanted to explore more. Like what's this, you know, I, I saw what was happening. It was all around, all around me, like exactly what, you know, Justin and Ethan, what you've just said, you see these things happening and it affects you. Um, climate change, environmental change, and I wanted to do something about it. And I think originally my plan was to become a marine biologist. I was going to retrain and do something entirely different. But I think what I found is that, um, yeah, my training as a psychologist is actually very relevant to understanding environmental problems because the problems are, yes, they're ex expressed in environmental problems, but the problem really is human behavior. So for me, it was this sort of light bulb moment where I went like, oh, okay, wait a second. Um, what I know about how humans function and how they think and what motivates them is actually really relevant here. I did end up doing a conservation science course, like a master's degree in conservation, which was really helpful in understanding that the natural um, science aspect of it to understand, you know, how the environment works as well as how people's, like how people and um, their activities impact on the environment. But really, being a psychologist seems like quite helpful in, t in, t in trying to understand, you know, what, what's what's going on here? Why are we doing this? Yeah. Yeah, and what you said, what people do really affect their way of thought. That's really true for me as well because me personally, I'm a, I would say I'm a relatively outdoorsy guy. Recently, I've noticed all of these activities, especially in Hong Kong where the weather is always fluctuating. And one of the key things that I would point out is that like, whatever, like before when I was young, sports and outdoor activities, uh, I just did it for fun and I never, I never really like acknowledged the environmental aspects of what I do. But then as I grow older, I feel like I'm more prone to the environment around me. Let's say when I'm when I'm outdoors doing kayaking, and I mm. like I see the heat waves literally floating around, and I, wow, this is actually getting like relatively serious to the point where like you can see physical change for me at least, and I feel like it is like growing onto me where I know that it's important to act upon environmental sustainability in this modern day. Yeah, that's a really good point, and a bit of a it's a bit of a double-edged sword. I think the more People who are really, who really enjoy the outdoors, or enjoy nature, who have a love of nature and are connected to it are also the ones that are going to be mostly affected by seeing those changes, right? Because you're doing the things you love, you're being out, you're enjoying nature and you're more affected by seeing that change. Yeah, I think that's, that's a really, that's a really good point. We start to notice it more, more easily, more quickly yeah. maybe. I feel like it's also a key driving force that many young people take into action. Well, I just wanted to ask, like, well, what are your thoughts on how one person can turn these negative emotions, let's say fear and distress, like similar to what I have, into like a more decisive and constructive action? It's a really good question. It's something that we've been thinking about a lot and we've, we've asked people, you know, young people like yourselves about sort of what are some of the key things, like what are the key emotions that you associate when you think about climate change? And it's definitely that we say like fear and anxiety comes out. What we did find in our research is that fear and anxiety, it's, 
um, it's more difficult to turn that into action. What we found is that when people feel um, angry or frustrated um, or outraged, those are the emotions that channel action a little bit better. It's like when, because they're, they're more action oriented emotions, right? They're, you're, you're just upset about it. You're like, I want to do something about this. This is, this is unjust, this isn't right. So it's more likely to lead to, to action. Whereas sort of that fear and anxiety, when it becomes a little overwhelming, it's really difficult to turn that into action because those are like more internalizing emotions, right? You're focused on your internal world, your thoughts, you're maybe ruminating over things. It is not easy to turn that into action. So I think it's hard to say, but sometimes it's almost like, um, not to say get angry, but actually a little bit, you know, like try to tapping into different emotions. I think we feel what we found at least when we ask people is they don't just feel sad and angry. Um, they feel also hopeful and they feel all kinds of emotions and maybe tapping into it at moments where you feel a bit more energetic and maybe you feel more frustrated. Those are maybe the kinds of emotions where you can sort of um, use that, that energy um, to to channel that into to action. But also the most important thing I think is to talk about it. If you are feeling fearful or anxious, it's not gonna it's not gonna make you do anything. It's not necessarily going to get you out and into a protest. It's not gonna get you to do you know, it's not really action oriented, but it can help to just sit down with other people and say, Hey, wow, this has made me feel really, really sad. And that's, that's, that's a great action to take. It's not going to, you know, it's not going to create environmental change, but it's going to make you feel better. So I think that's a good way to think about it. There's different emotions can lead to different helpful actions to take. That's true. I mean, in my school, I've talked to a couple of the, a couple of the school counselors about the thoughts that I have and it's really nice that, like, I understand what you mean and sometimes it's really nice to talk about something to other people that have the same perspective as you and sometimes you can also kind of see what other people think and they have a unique take on this aspect as well it, it, it just feels better like at heart to know that you're not alone on this issue yeah yeah there's loads of people who have similar feelings and sometimes it's just nice to just be able to admit and say, oh, this has made me feel so sad. And then someone else might say, yeah, I feel kind of anxious about it too. And just that shared emotion just takes the, the weight off it a little bit, I think. So, yeah. Yeah. And uh, social media to me has played a big part in this because it's, it's just a platform for a lot of us to, especially our generation, to talk, to come together and talk about these things. And so, to me at least, social, me social media and news consumption often come with these doom-laden headlines. So what are your thoughts on this and how should we manage our media consumption of this so that we can keep our, our health and our thoughts on this like at a normal, constructive level? Such a good question. Um... I fall victim to it too. Um, occasionally I find myself doom scrolling and looking for it and, and going, oh, why am I looking at this still? This is so upsetting. Um, it's hard to get out of that cycle and just to stop yourself. But I think it is important to sort of limit, limit yourself sometimes because it's, it's good to know what's going on, but there, it, it gets to a point, I think, is what you're saying, where it's, it just gets too much and too upsetting. Um, and it's okay to just take a step back and just say, I'm going to limit myself now. I'm going to step away 
and I might look at some cat videos online, <laughs> something like that. It's okay. We can still be lighthearted. It's, I think that the research also shows, I think this, this is a, the tactic that's been used a lot in communication uh, around climate change, but also public health. Like we try to scare people into doing something, but we also know that especially for climate change, it doesn't really work because exactly what you said, like people just turn off. They're like, this is too much. You know, what is the point? There's nothing we can do. So it's about, like, if you are going to use doom and gloom as a messaging tactic, I think it's not very effective. Um, you need to give people something, well, to do, right? To give them, okay, well, this is really bad, but here's something you can do that's, you know, may or may not change everything, but it gives you something to do. So that's a, a better way of approaching it. But, yeah, I think we need to be mindful for ourselves and our own sanity to just tune out sometimes and just be like, okay, that's, that's been enough doom and gloom for a day. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that because, um, as, as you said before, sometimes for us, seeing all this doom can spark a kind of motivation in us to take some action. But then, it, for me at least, um, and I'm sure for a lot of other people too, that it gets kind of difficult when you see this one article, two articles about climate change and you think, okay, you know, re uh, reducing our waste, but then you keep scrolling and you see these articles of these huge mega corporations having polluted another river or cut down another insane amount of forest. So it's, it does get hard to find the motivation to take action once you get too much of that doom scrolling, I think. I agree. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, same here as well. And I think one thing that I found really interesting as well is how there's, as you touched on earlier, like different types of emotions. I recently came across nostalgia as well, like the grief of losing landscapes as a result of the climate crisis. And it's very interesting how there's a very geographical com uh, component to how people experience eco-anxiety or mental impacts from the climate crisis. So, Anz, I wanted to talk to you more about your study that you were the co-lead author on, which found that majority of young people were distressed about climate change even during the pandemic, which touches on the different emotions that young people have for both climate crisis and the COVID pandemic. So, why do you think this might be the case that young people are re reacting very differently to both? So just to clarify, this is a study we did in the UK. So just as you said, the, this geographic aspect is a really important aspect because I think people have very vastly different experiences of climate change depending on where you live. Like if you live um, on Tuvalu, you have a very different experience of climate change than when you live in London, right? So, um, so this was young people in the UK. Yeah, it did surprise us to some extent because we thought, well, you know, the pandemic, when we did the study, it was at the height of the pandemic. The UK was in lockdown, people were dying, the NHS was on its knees, it was terrible. Um, and still people were, young people were very distraught about climate change. Um, and, you know, initially that surprise, we started to think about it, and we also read some of the comments that people left. Um, and I think what, what, what young people pointed out is that with the, at least with COVID, there were very specific, specific things you could do wear a mask, stay home. You know, you had some element of control over it. You knew if you did those things, it was probably going to be okay, right? So the, 
it was very clear communication as to what was expected of you and what we could all do together to manage this. And, and nobody benefited. There were no big corporations benefiting from doing the exact opposite, right? At least not. I mean, you might have some, there might be some conspiracy theories somewhere, but in a normal world, that's not the case. With climate change, that's exactly what Justin was just saying. You know, you see these, there's big corporations that are benefiting from doing exactly the opposite of what we should be doing to combat climate change. And as an individual person, there's so little guidance on what to do. And I think young people expressed to us that they felt so little agency. They, they knew what they had to do, but then they also felt exactly what Justin just said. Like, what am I as a single individual? I do all the things, I ride my bike, I recycle, I, I try everything, but it's never gonna be enough because what you need is systems change. And I think that was really the difference in how distressing it is. Like one thing you have some control over, the other thing you feel like, what am I even doing? So I, I got that, why that was more distressing to young people. I mean, I don't, like, I do understand about the point of being, where for climate change, there is a lack of control. And like, I, I feel like there's still a lack of understanding in a lot of communities where, like, mm. as you said in COVID, there was clear guidelines. And like recently in Hong Kong, there's been news about the effects of global warming. And there's been whales and like a couple of whale sightings that have been rushed up in Hong Kong, which are pretty rare because whales don't typically appear in Hong Kong. But I feel like what's more interesting is the psychological like acknowledgement of this news from the Hong Kong society. It's like I've seen online people like post about this as some sort of attraction instead of realizing the bigger mm -hmm. point where this is caused by global warming, the shift in environment for the whales, that's why they're rushing up. Uh, maybe it's the psychological interpretation that people have due to climate change. Like, it's still kind of unclear to many um, what we should actually do to change it, how we should actually react. I just wanted to ask, like, have you experienced uh, eco-anxiety as well? And uh, do you have any advice on how to cope with it? Yes, I do. I have experienced it. And I, I still do, I'm not gonna say it, I'm sort of crippled by it on a daily basis, but it's definitely something, um, yeah, in the back of my mind. And it's something, I think with the doom scrolling, which I was just telling you about, that's, I think it's a bit of a symptom of that. And Belinda, you mentioned Celestalgia. I definitely feel a sense of grief. Eco-anxiety is also, it's not just, and there is some debate around what it actually means. It's more than, than just anxiety. I think it's a whole lot of different things thrown in together. And for me, it's definitely an element of grief as well. That's part of that eco-anxiety. So like that sense of, of, of loss. And sometimes it's like loss that you can see. And sometimes it's the anticipation of loss when you look at something and you're like, this is beautiful and we're ruining it. And it's just that anticipatory loss, if that makes any sense. That's, that's, I feel that quite strongly. Um, so yeah, it's a lot sometimes. And oh, Ethan, I think your question was also like around how do you manage it? Uh, it's getting out and enjoying nature. I think just enjoying what we have and how beautiful it is. That can be a real tonic, I think. Uh, my master's student, um, um, Cami Dunning, from, who was at Imperial College doing a master's, she did a study um, she surveyed a whole bunch of university students and asked them about their eco-anxiety and also about how they're managing it. So instead of telling you how I'm managing it, I can tell you a little bit about how other young people, a little bit older than you, are managing it. And so that we split it up into three different ways of coping with eco-anxiety. 
which was um, problem focused, which is kind of what we were talking about before, which is taking action, you know, going to a protest or taking, doing, you know, pro, pro environmental behaviors, sustainability behaviors like recycling or taking a bike instead of a car. Um, and then there's um, emotion focused coping, which can be that sort of tuning out and just distracting yourself with cat videos or something. Just finding meaning in, in, in being part of, of a movement of change, of being, finding meaning in, and maybe what we're doing isn't super effective, but at least, you know, you're doing something, you're, you're identifying with, with that, you know, finding meaning in, in being part of, of change and, and, and fighting climate change, even, even if there's no, there's no guarantee of success, but you sort of identify with that, with being someone who cares. And that also helps to, to some extent, you know, take you away from those powerful emotions that can become overwhelming is taking that step back and just finding meaning in, in, in just being in that space. So those are the three things. And that meaning focused coping was the, the least common amongst, among students because it's difficult to achieve. Lots of people are very focused on problem focused coping. So really trying to enact change, which is also a very good thing. But it becomes longer term, it can be quite challenging to maintain that problem focused coping when you're not seeing the change you would like to see. And then we need to step back and like look after ourselves and, and focus more on that, on finding just that, that meaning in ourselves. I want to circle back to what you said about the protests and movements. So mm -hmm. we've seen on the news there have been climate change and movements and, and, and demonstrations. So what what are the larger societal impacts of this mental health issue that comes from climate change? So do you think it's stimulated any it's been taken to try and solve this problem that's affecting all of us? It's such a good question. I think we'd all like to see more policy change. And I think what we also would like to see is that, specifically what you said, that recognition that climate change is not just about, you know, physical impact. It's not just about weather. It's about how it's impacting on the mental health and well-being of, of all of us. And I think that growing recognition, and you can see that now, you know, it's in the first, it's the first times that that the IPCC report has actually recognized mental health as a climate impact, you know, in the last report. So definitely there is that growing element of, well, it's not just about storms and droughts, et cetera. It's about people's futures and their, their well-being. So I think that's, that's really great to see because I think it is a, is a great motivator, um, for governments because it's their job to look after their people right and if it is a significant health impact then you will start to see maybe a little bit more engagement it is kind of sad to sort of admit that it, it didn't seem like that much of a problem when it's just about quote unquote just about the environment but now that it's about a public health issue all of a sudden people are starting to pay attention but i think you know potentially if this is the avenue to get that policy um interest then, then that's 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 a good thing, um, but we also would like to see that that integration of those two sides, you know, like the the environmental policies and the public health policies to come together and have that recognition that there is there's an intersection somewhere <laughs> where those two meet, and having these joint frameworks that can help us be more effective in not just 
uh, promoting better well-being, but also promoting healthier environments because the two are so incredibly linked that, you know, we need to recognize that in policy and we're not quite there yet, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. I just love the point you made about drawing those intersections because in many ways making it a public health issue is really helping to put the issue into the spotlight. And so I also think that platforms like these where we can talk about it um, with academics like yourself and also amongst young people will really help to alleviate hopefully some eco-anxiety. So with that, we'll be wrapping up that episode. Thank you so much, Anne, for sharing all your insights with us. We really loved discussing this with you. And also thank you to all our listeners for tuning in this week with us. We'd love to hear more from you about your thoughts about eco-anxiety. So let us know any questions and comments by messaging us on Instagram at sustainpod underscore GIH or email us at sustainpod at gmail.com. You'll be hearing more from Ethan and his team coming up in a few episodes, so stay tuned and have a great rest of your day.